You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. Gospel of John, chapter 8. Our focus today will be on verses 31 through 47. Be reading verses 30 through 59. John chapter 8 and verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, You will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him. Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them. If you were Abraham's children. You would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies." But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. But I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, 
If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you, but I, know, I do know Him and keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, may the light of your glory shine bright in the face of Christ by your Spirit through your Word. And in His light, may we rightly not only see who we are, as your light exposes, but may we have grace to receive it. Grant true knowledge of Christ and true knowledge of ourselves. Grant humility to receive it. Father, deliver those who are in bondage to sin. Blind. Prideful. May your word find good soil. And bear fruit. The fruit of faith and repentance. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. At this point in chapter 8, there's a transition from who Jesus is to who they are. Since chapter 5, there's been a sustained witness, testimony, judgment theme in Jesus' interactions with the Jews at Jerusalem. And at the conclusion of chapter 7, we saw their failed attempt to arrest Jesus and thereby have a private trial. And now in chapter 8 and verse 12, it's Jesus who initiates something of a public trial with the opening statement, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Jesus then... uh, answers their objections, saying, their objection being, you're bearing witness to yourself, your testimony is not true. And as he answers that objection, he masterfully steers the conversation so that they ask him to do just what they ridiculed him for doing. They ask him to bear witness to himself, saying, who are you? Verse 25. But now, having done this, Jesus turns the conversation from who he is to who they are in verses 31 through 47. His opening prosecution is put forward as a test. It's just a test put forward. It's not a test applied. The test is just put forward. It's a test put forward in light of what is happening in that public trial 
with the Jewish leaders. At the end of that interaction, we read, verse 30, as he was saying these things, interacting with the leaders, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. These many who believed in him are referred to as the Jews in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Now most often in John, it's been clear that whenever we have any reference to the Jews, it's a reference to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the priests, the leadership, the Sanhedrin. Here it is one of those instances where it has a broader meaning. Jesus is interacting with the leaders, and as He's doing so, many of the Jews broadly hear this, and they believe in Him. We've seen false faith. We've seen dubious disciples multiple times in John so far. But the context and the way it's phrased in verse 30 give us some hope that maybe this is different. Most of the time we've seen false faith, spurious belief. There's been a reference to sign, John 2, 23-25. Many believed in His name when they saw the signs that He was doing. But Jesus, on His part, did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for He Himself knew what was in man. Here, though... We're reminded of the Samaritans who believed. We were told they believed because of the testimony of the woman. And then they say to Jesus that they believe not only because of that, but because of His Word. John 4, 39 and 41. Here, we read that they believed as He was saying these things. And it's to these Jews that Jesus puts forward this test. It's as Jesus was saying these things that they believed, and the test that He puts to them concerns Him saying things. As He was saying they believed, He puts forward a test concerning the things He says. If you abide in My Word, you are truly my disciples. Abiding in the Word is equivalent to the Word abiding in them. You can see that in verse 37. You seek to kill me because my Word finds no place in you. So true disciples abide in the Word, and the Word abides in them. And the result of this abiding is that you know the truth. And the result of knowing this truth is that you're set free. This note, carefully, Jesus says, this is not a test whereby you get in. This is a test to prove whether or not you are in. Jesus does not say, if you abide in my word, you will be my disciples. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. This is a not, a, not a test for discipleship. This is a test of discipleship. Jesus will soon say, in this gospel, we'll hear Him, My sheep hear My voice. If 
you're his sheep, you hear. Such disciples know the truth, and it's a liberating truth. This refers to the way, the walk, the life of a disciple. They abide in the Word. The Word abides in them. There's a kind of knowing of truth, and it's a liberating truth. It's the life of a disciple. But it does refer to also something that happens when one becomes a disciple. In that moment, there is a knowing of the truth, and the truth sets them free. Jesus is echoing something of what He said in verse 12. I am the light of the world. If anyone follows me, he will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Follow disciple, light, truth, life, freedom. Those are the parallels. He's saying the same thing. So here is this test, and it's put before you. As the Word of God is bringing this to you, this test is put before you. Who are you? If you are truly Jesus' disciple, you abide in His Word. His Word abides in you. And there is a knowledge of a truth in such a way that you're set free. Not a knowledge of it just in your head, but a knowledge experientially. A relational kind of knowledge that results in a liberation. It is not sufficient to say... You believe. Jesus is speaking to believers here. These are people who believe to whom He puts this test. So who are you? Are you truly a disciple? Or does this kind of thing offend you? Do not like to examine yourself. Do you grow irritated at anyone who suggests Anything other than that, surely you must be a disciple. You must have always been a disciple. Those who were just said to believe as Jesus spoke are now offended as He spoke. It would appear they are glad to hear and believe Jesus' word As long as it's concerning someone else. When it's directed towards the religious leaders, yes, they need rebuke. They're glad to hear Jesus' word then. Or we might even say they're glad to hear Jesus so long as Jesus is talking great and glorious and magnificent things about Jesus. Just leave it there. They're ready to believe high things of Jesus so long as it doesn't require that they also believe low things about themselves. They're comfortable with the light of the world observed from a distance. Yeah, he's bright. Yeah, he's glorious. They're comfortable with the light of the world even piercing, illuminating, exposing the sin of their religious leaders. But once the light begins to shine upon them, revealing who they are, then it's evident that they don't truly believe they hate the light. John 3. 
This is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. They object. They're the offspring of Abraham. They've never been enslaved. How is it that he says this then? The leaders, they needed reproof. But they're the children of Abraham. They don't need deliverance. Rebuke of leaders is one thing. Saying we need deliverance from bondage is another. And so great is their pride in blinding them to what Jesus says, that they say the absurd. We've never been enslaved. Never? The children of Abraham were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And God delivering them, entered into covenant with them, telling them, if you break covenant, you will go back into that kind of bondage. And immediately coming coming into the promised land, as their idolatry grows rich, they know oppression and bondage under the Philistines, the Syrians, the Assyrians, until the southern kingdom falls to Assyria. And only 600 years before this, the the southern kingdom is taken into captivity by Babylon to then be ruled over by the Medo-Persian Empire, then by the Greek Empire, then by the Roman Empire at this time. Such that whenever they want to kill Jesus, they can only do so asking the Roman governor's permission. Yeah, they enjoyed a great deal of religious freedom, but they were not free. Never enslaved, but don't scoff at them. This is the protest of sinful man. He is in bondage and his objection is, I'm free. I do what I want to do. Not only do I do what I want to do, but what I want to do, it's pretty much good. I'm not enslaved. I'm not in bondage. This is the protest of sinful man. I'm free. And by this protest, they immediately fail the test Jesus has put forward. If you abide in my word. If you abide in my word. You are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and you will be set free. They're in bondage. They don't abide in his word. His word does not abide in them. This is the seed that fell on the rocky soil. And quickly sprung up. And just as quickly it withers away. Chapter 6. We saw a large crowd following Jesus. And Jesus had some very charged words for that crowd, such that we're told even many of his disciples were disturbed by them and objected. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And they left and departed. And then Jesus, testing his disciples, asked them, do you want to go, as way, go away as well? And it was Peter who answered for them, saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. These who had just believed, as Jesus was saying, those things, 
now protest as Jesus is saying these things. They don't abide in His Word. Receiving and believing some of Jesus' words is insufficient. Who are you? Do you think you're a Christian by right, by entitlement, by birth? Do you think any other thought than, of course I'm a Christian, I've always been a Christian. Do you think any other thought than that absurd? Do you insist that you are free whenever Jesus just puts forward a test that might suggest otherwise? Then who you are is someone who is not truly a disciple. You demonstrate it. His word does not abide in you. You may like some of his words, but his word does not abide in you. You do not abide in his word. Are you willing to believe in Jesus? Only so long as it means you just have to think highly of him. But if thinking highly of him in such a way means you must also think lowly of yourself, you do not, and you don't want any part of that, you don't think highly enough of Jesus. And you don't think near low enough of yourself. Jesus' second line of prosecution, verses 34 through 38, explains their reaction to the first. Explains their bondage, why they need deliverance. Everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin, verse 34. The word practices is critical to rightly getting at what Jesus says. Everyone who practices sin. The saints lay no claim to perfection. Far from it. But sin is not their practice. It's not their habit. It's not their way. It's not their life. Paul tells the Romans that sin no longer has dominion over you. Sin is not the kingdom by which they are ruled anymore. 1 John 3.6 is excellent commentary. Multiple places in 1 John make good commentary on what Jesus is saying here. But 1 John 3.6 tells us, No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who abides in Him. That's the same as abiding in His Word and His Word abiding in you. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or know Him. The saints may stumble into sin, but the sinner swims in it. It's all that there is. And it's not just that he swims in it, he's dead in it, floating on the bottom. Sin is the entirety of his existence. All of it. Paul tells us in Ephesians, you, this is speaking to saints, this is every person who knows Christ, this is their previous existence. You were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Whenever Jesus told the Pharisees in the previous interaction, you will die in your sins, the reason they'll die in their sins is because they're already spiritually dead in their sins. The position then of these Jews is that they are slaves in a house where Jesus is the Son, verse 35. The Son remains forever, not so the slave. In the house of Abraham, they are like Ishmael. 
They'll be sent away. They have no part in the inheritance. If you're to have any part in the inheritance, it's only in the Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 36. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. True freedom is found only in the Son. Paul picks up the same kind of language in Galatians 4 where he talks about the slave of the, the children of the slave woman, Hagar, Ishmael, and the children of promise like Isaac. And how is it that this distinction is made? Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Freedom is found in Christ. They may be the physical descendants of Abraham, which Jesus gives them credit for. You are the physical descendants. But they seek to kill Jesus. And the reason they seek to do so, verse 37, is because the, the word finds no place in them. So, two different parentages are at root between this different behavior. Verse 38, I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. This relates to Jesus' earlier instruction about two different origins. You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Jesus doesn't explicitly at this point identify who their father is. But they do according to their parentage. What they do is sin. You do what you have heard from your father. Return to Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 and listen to the fuller citation. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who are you? Does sin have dominion over you? Is it your habitual practice? Is it your way? Is it your walk? Is it that thing that you cannot escape from? Is it the kingdom that you live under? Is it what has dominion over you and rules you? Or do you abide in Jesus? Do you abide in His Word? Does His Word abide in you? All of it, not some of it, not an edited version, according to your fancy. Does it abide in you so that whenever it's hard, you reply like Peter? It's hard. Where else could we go? You have the words of eternal life. Yet again, the Jews object. Same objection. Abraham is our father. Jesus' word finds no place in them. They are in, their, in bondage. And they do the works of their father. Note, doing the works of their father can mean saying and doing very Biblical things. These are Jews. Their objection is. Abraham is our father. Satan is perfectly pleased. For you to say and do. A lot of biblical things. So long as there's no true Jesus in them. The religion of the Pharisees. And the Sadducees 
and the Jews at large that puts Jesus on the cross, all with tons of Bible language and reasoning, is diabolical. It is satanic. Bible talk minus Jesus is satanic. He's perfectly pleased with it. That wasn't just a Jewish phenomenon. It is a church phenomenon. Such a church is not a church. It is, to use the language of Revelation, a synagogue of Satan. ask you once again then, who are you? Church is a great place to delude yourself that Abraham is your father. Saying it again and again doesn't make it, doesn't make it so. Abraham is our father. We're the children of Abraham. Saying it again and again doesn't make it so. Saying, I go to church. My mom and dad believe. I said a prayer. I was baptized. I believe. Saying it again and again doesn't make it so. Singing, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham and I am one of them. Singing it over and over again doesn't make it so. Singing, I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N as a child again and again doesn't make it so. These Jews, note, are not objecting to Jesus for their sin. They're objecting to Jesus for their religion, which is sin. They are in bondage. So what about you? Who are you? Take this test to yourself now. Who am I? Who am I? According to what Jesus is laying out here, as this light this shining forth from this word, who am I? Jesus opens a third line of prosecution. There's another test. This time he doesn't leave it with them. He immediately applies it. Verses 39 through 40. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works, the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. The test for parentage is not a biological one. It is a behavioral one. Who are the children of Abraham? They do the works Abraham did. What are the works they are doing? They are seeking to kill one who came from God, has heard from God, is declaring God's word. The result of the test, they're not the children of Abraham. As early as Genesis 3, you get the central drama that is to be for the rest of the entirety of Scripture. There are two seeds at enmity. The hope came in the form of God's curse to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, your seed and her seed... He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. And ultimately, the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent is Christ. But note, that is the seed crushing the head of the serpent. There is also this enmity between the seed 
collective singular. So the seed, plural. There's this enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Who are these? Well, Genesis makes it clear again and again there are two seeds put forward in conflict, but with genealogies framing them again and again. Seth, Cain, Shem, Ham, Isaac, Ishmael, Jacob, Esau. Physical descent from Abraham does not mean you automatically get a white hat. Romans 2, 28-29, No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. The true Jew is one who does what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? He believed. Romans 4, 11 through 12. He, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. What does Abraham do? He rejoices. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So who are you? Who are you? Look at what you do. Look at what you do in reference to Christ. Don't look at what you do thinking you can bank on that to get in. If you're doing that, your evaluation of what you're doing says you failed. Look at what you do in reference to Christ. Do you believe? Do you believe in Him and Him alone? Do you have no other trust? He is the Christ. He is salvation. You were in bondage to your sins and your only hope is the liberation that He purchased for you on the cross. Are you the seed of the woman or the seed of the serpent? How do you know? Look at what you do. What you do doesn't make you one or the other, but being one or the other determines what you do. You're not free. You do according to your parentage, and your parentage is outside of you. You are either the spawn of Satan, or you are a child of God. That determines what you do. Which one are you? Look at what you do. Once again, they object. This time they up their claim. Not Abraham, but God is their father. Verse 41. We have one Father, even God. But this time, they even preface this by saying, we were not born of sexual immorality. And by which they can mean nothing more than, we are legitimate children of Abraham. Thus, we are children of God. But I think something much more sinister is in play here. 
I think it's the same thing they were insinuating. The leaders were when they asked him in chapter in, in verse 19, this chapter, when they asked, where is your father? And it appears now they're saying, you have some gall. Keep talking about our father when we know something of your history. And so they move from believing Jesus as he's saying these things to objecting to Jesus as he's saying these things to now ridiculing Jesus as he's saying these things. His word does not abide in them. So who are you? Are you one who you just have the same objection over and over again as anything like this is pressed upon you? I believe, I believe, I believe I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a member, I've been baptized. It's the same objection over and over again. Can you be reasoned with biblically? Can the word of God be brought to bear upon your soul? Do you submit to the word? See, objecting to the test at all is a failing of the test. And receiving the test, just receiving it. It's almost, you don't even have to do the test. It's just that you you just receive the test. And you pass the test. Do you grow more hostile? Do your claims grow more boisterous? The more the truth is pressed upon you, the greater the darkness becomes, the more evident the bondage. For Jesus' fourth line of prosecution, he lays down another test, and again it will apply it, but this time it's his longest line of argumentation with them yet. And the test is simply this, verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. And then Jesus asked, why do you not understand what I say? And this is not an exasperation. This is not, this is, this is a question he answers. He's trying to bring them to answer this question. This interaction is proving you don't understand. I'm making these long reasoned arguments concerning who you are. And you don't interact with them at all. You just make this simple objection. We're the children of Abraham. Abraham is our father. We have one father, even God. There's no kind of reasoning. No understanding. Why is it? Verse 43. It's because they cannot bear to hear his word. The problem isn't in their head. The problem is in their heart. 1 Corinthians 1.18 Tells us the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And Paul shortly goes on from that point in chapter 2 then to say, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Their father is not God. So Jesus now names their father. You are of your father, the devil. And thus their will is to do his desires. Verse 29, remember Jesus told the leaders, 
I always do the things that are pleasing to him, referring to his father. Now here they are, always doing the thing that pleases their father. What are his desires? Verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. What are his desires? Murder and lies. From the beginning. How did he kill? Through lies. He's the father of lies. Here are the Jews seeking to kill Jesus. And they're full of lies to accomplish that end. Their will is to do their father's desires. And this explains why it is whenever Jesus, as one sent by God, comes telling them the truth, they cannot believe him and they cannot openly and honestly convict him of sin. Verses 45 through 46. And to press this home, Jesus once again asks them, why don't they believe if he tells them the truth? It's because... They are not, verse 47, they are not of God. Because they're not of God, they cannot hear. They're of their father, the devil. Lies are their natural language. Lies are what they understand. They can't comprehend the truth. In order to understand and believe, they must be of God. They must be born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And unless you're born again, unless you're of God, you cannot hear the truth that he speaks. So dear soul, again I ask you, who are you? Ask yourself that. Who am I? Are you of God? Have you been born again? Is there a spiritual kind of understanding, not just an intellectual owning of what Jesus is saying, but a spiritual knowledge and understanding, experiencing of what He said? Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe His Word? Does it abide in you? Do do you abide in it? Do you love Him as one sent by the Father? Or are there lies and murders within Lies concerning Jesus, murderous lies. I like to think of Jesus this way, which means the Jesus that is, he's dead to you. You want no part of him. You have the same murderous intents towards the Christ that is. This is the Jesus you want. And thus, lies concerning who you are. Who are you? Who is Jesus? John Calvin opens his institute with a chicken or the egg conundrum, which of those come first? Knowledge of God or knowledge of self? Who are you? Who is Jesus? And he answers saying, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But while joined by many bonds, which one precedes and brings forth the other, is not easy to discern. Which one comes first? Each of us must then be so stung by the consciousness of his own unhappiness as to attain at least some knowledge of God, 
Thus, from the feeling of our own ignorance, vanity, poverty, infirmity, and what is more, depravity and corruption, we recognize that the true light of wisdom, sound virtue, full abundance of every good, and purity of righteousness rest in the Lord alone. To this extent, we are prompted by our own ills to contemplate the good things of God, and we cannot seriously aspire to Him before we begin to become displeased with ourselves. For what man in all the world would gladly, not gladly remain as he is, what man does not remain as he is, so long as he does not know himself. That is, while content with his own gifts and either ignorant or unmindful of his own misery. Accordingly, the knowledge of ourselves not only arouses us to seek God, but also, as it were, leads us by the hand to find him. So it seems he's saying that knowledge of ourselves comes first. But then he goes on to say, again, it is certain that a man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinize himself. For we always seem to ourselves righteous and upright and wise and holy. This pride is innate in all of us unless... By clear proofs, we stand convinced of our own unrighteousness, foulness, folly, and impurity. Moreover, we are not thus convinced if we look merely to ourselves and not also to the Lord, who is the sole standard by which this judgment must be measured. Calvin seemingly leaves the whole question hanging. Which one comes first? There is a sense in which they're simultaneous, which I think is what he's really saying. And then he just says, for the sake of teaching, we need to begin with the knowledge of God. But I think in doing so, he really has answered the question, which comes first? We know the darkness without. Excuse me. We know the darkness within by means of the light without. And yet, once that light shines, there is no progress in knowing unless we own what's been exposed. Immediately as there's any knowledge of truth, there's an exposing of self. And if there's no owning of what we've seen with the darkness within, there can be no progress in knowing that light without. We will remain in bondage and darkness. Many seem to receive this truth and believe in Jesus. He is the light of the world. But as soon as that truth begins to expose anything concerning who they are, they reject, they revise, they refuse. Who are you? Who is Jesus? He is the light of the world. You are darkness. You are a child of darkness. You are under the domain of darkness. Part of the kingdom of darkness. Own that. Humbly come to Christ. Pleading that. Confessing all the darkness within. And you will find that that light will not only expose. You will find that light will transform. And you will be a new creature. You will find the reality of Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Who are you? 
who is Jesus. He is the eternally begotten Son of the Father. You are a rebellious creature. Enslaved in bondage to the practice of sin and its condemnation. You cannot not sin. Jesus cannot sin. Which of you convicts me of sin? Jesus cannot be convicted of sin because he cannot sin. He is the sinless one. Look to Jesus. And in the light of his righteousness, you will not only see your sin. You'll see it as You'll see all your righteousness is filthy rags. You'll see it like the sham righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Look to Jesus and you'll not only see your sin, you will see your sin born. You'll see that He lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death that you might be clothed in His righteousness and your sin born away. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Son will set you free and you will be free indeed. Who are you? Who is Jesus? He is the Son doing His Father's desires. Who are you? Left to yourself, you do what you have heard from your Father. Murder and lies brood within your heart concerning fellow man, concerning God, concerning yourself. You lie, you murder. In contrast, Jesus comes proclaiming truth. And He comes to lay down His life. And even as He does so, He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You need not fear the darkness, the unfathomable evil that you would not want a soul to know. You need not fear the deep darkness that lies within your own chest if you will own the glory of the light that is without. He made atonement so that you might not only be forgiven, but so that you might be cleansed. He not only made propitiation, He made purification by His sacrifice. You can own who you are in repentance because you own who Jesus is with faith as all your righteousness. None of your own. The darkness within is not greater than the light without. No matter how much evil you've done, no matter how dark your thoughts, no matter how wicked your imaginations and desires, it is as nothing compared to the righteousness of Christ. And it's yours if you would but believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will no longer be who you are. You'll be a new creation in Him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be justified. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will begin being sanctified. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will one day be glorified. You will no longer be a child of darkness. You will will be a child of light. You'll no longer be the spawn of Satan. You'll be a child of God. You'll no longer be a slave. You'll be a son 
All because who you are will no longer be found in who you are, but in who he is. So that you may boast as Paul, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This will be true of you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Dear soul, if you've believed, if as these things are being spoken, you truly believe so that His Word abides in you and you abide in His Word, you now have a knowledge of truth that liberates you and set you free such that Romans 6 is true of you. If we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. And alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so I ask you once more, who are you? I've been speaking to the sinner throughout this, saints. Who are you? Yes, examine yourself. But having examined yourself with the test Jesus puts forward here, rejoice in the liberty and the freedom that you have in Christ and walk in it. Walk in the light of life. Let's pray. Holy Father, oh, how awesome was our bondage. 400 years in Egypt. This is nothing to the real bondage that they had and the bondage we had and the bondage every human soul has that means an eternal death. A bondage that is blind and dead and deaf. A bondage so great that it insists it's free. Yes, it does what it wants, but all it wants is evil and corrupt and death. It is a bondage that completely keeps one from life and light and goodness and truth and beauty. Father, how great is the freedom we have in Christ. Purchased by His blood. May we not treat it lightly. Father, we know that bondage is so great that the only hope any sinner right here has, the only hope is your goodness. It's your grace. 
And it comes by your word. It comes through the gospel. It comes as hearing. There's belief. True belief. A belief that abides in your word. Father, I hope, I pray, I long that some have experienced that that liberating freedom that comes by your word today. They've come to know you and the Son has set them free. Bless now your word towards that end. I plead this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.